0: Hey guys, my name is Leah Buckles. I am the CEO of Prestige Worldwide Medical Consulting, U.S. Army Veteran, Physician Assistant, um, and I'm a former CMP examiner. I wanted to come on today and discuss a topic that a lot of veterans ask me about almost on a daily basis, and that is whether or not they need a Nexus letter um, or an independent medical opinion letter. So. First, what is that, right? An independent medical opinion um, or a nexus letter is a technical report that veterans often use to show a link between their injury or illness and their service, okay? They're never required, but sometimes they can be helpful in your pursuit of VA disability. Um, there are medical experts that can review your files, such as myself, and provide an opinion based on what they have reviewed, and you can get with your accredited agent or attorney and and submit that. Um, with your, you know, package or packet for VA disability for whatever the ailment is, but they're not required and you can also get them from your primary care manager or your surgeon or, you know, any doctor or PA or nurse practitioner of your choosing, um, which is what I've discussed in prior videos before as well. Also, they're just not required in general because when you go to a CMP exam, a compensation and pension exam, the examiner that's hired by the VA to review your case will provide um a, an opinion on the likelihood of the condition being related to your service or not. Um it may be a negative opinion, right, based on the facts, but you know, not every condition is related or found to be related and Sometimes veterans choose to get an outside or private opinion, um, to kind of have a second opinion to either counteract or to provide additional insight, um, versus just having the VA contracted examiner. Okay. But, but to clarify, you do not require this. The VA will provide this for you whenever they call you in for your CMP examination. Um, so, getting back to what they are and what they can be helpful for again um, a nexus letter that's kind of the slang term that's used to describe an independent medical opinion so usually that will be um, provided to you by a medical expert after they've done a thorough review of your medical history hopefully your C file if you've got it available, your claims file, um, any you know service treatment records, current medical records, um, your you know, service records that may show your locations where you've served if, if there may be some type of Gulf War presumptive thing or Agent Orange thing. Um, just a very good review of your medical history to find out what's going on with the specific condition, why it may be related to another issue that your service connected for or perhaps directly to your service, right? Um, so I just wanted to cover a couple of things. I have them written down here. Let me pull them up for myself. So what are the statements of likelihood? Okay. A good nexus letter is going to have at the, you know, it's my nexus letters. Anyways, they have, um, you know, a very thorough review of what's going on. So I discuss who I am so I can talk about my credentials and, and you know, what my experience is so that the reader can understand what my expertise is. Then I discuss my review of your files. What did I review? Your service dates. You know what files I reviewed. What the condition is, um, and then I discuss the history of the condition. I you know discuss why it may be related to your service. I use research articles to back up my opinion, um, and then I wrap it up in the end. And I discuss you know whether I think it's likely related to your service using a statement of likelihood. So I wanted to go over kind of the most common, um, five common statements of likelihood that are used, right? So um, in the CMP exam, most of the time um, you're gonna see a statement um, that is either gonna be is due to, and is due to is going to be 100% that the, whoever's reviewing the case believes it is related to your service. So whether it's the CMP examiner, me or whoever's reviewing your files, I rarely use is due to unless um, there is a very straightforward connection that I see. So for example, if you had a traumatic amputation due to an IED blast, I'm going to say that your amputation is due to your service, right? Period. Because it happened while you were on active duty. It, there's no other thing that caused that other than your amputation due to the IED blast on in service. Most of the time, I, I don't know if I've ever written something like that simply because that is so straightforward. I don't know why. And no one ever needs a, an independent medical opinion from a private source. But if you've got something that's that evident in your record, um, I mean, it should be pretty straightforward, right? Most of the cases that I assist with are ones that can kind of be in um, you know, more difficult to show that relationship. otherwise the VA and not that not that there's ever a cut and dry situation. Um, but that type of situation is most likely going to be approved, right? You would imagine, okay. Um, so the next one, so we have is due to. that's 100% likely um, that the whoever's reviewing the case the examiner, whoever believes that it's due to your service, right? The next level would be more likely than not. and that is um, greater than 50% likelihood. Okay. So I use this one frequently when I see things that are most likely connected to either your service or to a service related disability. Okay. So an example of when I would say is most likely due to would be something like, um, a veteran has, let's say they've got radiculopathy, right. And they're service connected for a lumbar spine condition, degenerative disc disease. And they've got, um, you know, most likely a nerve impingement at that level, based on the records I've reviewed. Okay, there's really probably not anything else that's going to cause those symptoms. You know, perhaps the sy- they could have a peripheral nerve disorder that's causing the symptoms as well. So, because there may be one or two other likely conditions that could cause those symptoms. I'm not gonna say it's due to because there's still perhaps a chance that something else is going on. So I'm most likely gonna say, most likely, more likely than not due to, right? When when I'm pretty sure, right? Um, The next statement of likelihood is going to be at least as likely as not. This is probably the one that I use most frequently because it's it it gives you equal to or greater than 50% but it's more it's at least as likely as not so it's kind of like that at least 50% or, or greater likelihood. So conditions like this, I would say frequently I'll have things like hypertension, right? If somebody is saying that they're, they've they got hypertension, I review their medical records, you know, they're not a smoker, they're not um, obese, they don't have a family history. You know, a lot of the um, risk factors are ruled out and we look at it and we say, well, it's, we're, we're making, um, the veterans trying to make a contention or a claim that their hypertension is related to you know, their chronic knee and back pain and the NSAIDs they've used and the pain that they're in every day. So we can say, well, we've looked at all the risk factors. They don't have any other risk factors. You can see that their blood pressure spikes kind of come and go with their pain levels, etc., cetera, um, or their PTSD or whatever it may be. Um, so I'm going to say it's at least as likely as not related. Okay. Because there are quite a variety of many more variables that can be there. I've ruled out by my review of the records that it's probably not those things. So I can say it's at least as likely as not. Um, And so that's when I would use the at least as likely as not when there's just a few more things that it could be, but I've determined in my medical opinion that it's at least as likely as not related to that. Okay. Um, the next one is gonna be not at least as likely as not. So that would be less than 50%. I don't particularly use these statements in in, in my world because typically if somebody just doesn't have a case, I'm gonna just tell them, hey, I don't think I can provide you a positive medical opinion. And then we're gonna stop um, communicating about it. So I'll review the records and I'll say, hey, I don't think you have a case here. I don't think I can assist you from, my, from medically speaking from my opinion. Opinion and I provide them that negative feedback. Um, you know, so I guess I do write it because I tell them, hey, I can't help you. It's not, I don't believe it's at least as likely as not, I can't help you here. Um, but the CMP examiners will um, document that in your chart and say that, or they'll say it's not due to 0% chance. They do not believe it's due to this. Um, an example of that would be, uh, again, like with a traumatic amputation. If you had a traumatic amputation 10 years after you separated service, there's pretty much 0% likelihood that's related to your service because it happened 10 years after in a motor vehicle accident. Right? So in that situation, I'm not going to write a medical opinion for that. So I'm going to just tell the veteran, Hey, I can't help you because there's too much going on here and a favorable opinion can't be had. Right. Um, so those are kind of the statements of likelihood, right? I think it's really important. A lot of times veterans will say, well, why did you write at least as likely as not? I want you to write more likely than not in here. And I say to that, um, you know, I understand that, but it's still a positive opinion. I personally don't believe it's good to over inflate the opinion because if I overinflate the opinion, then it it, it um, detracts from the credibility of the opinion in my opinion. My, um, experience, right? So if I think that it's at least as likely as not, I'm going to say it's at least as likely as not. Sometimes veterans will get bent out of shape and say, well, you know, I want you to say it's more likely than not. And I'm like, or it's due to, and I'm like, I just can't say that, right? Because I don't think that helps you, right? A, I don't, it's not my opinion, right? And B, overinflating an opinion is not something that is, you know, it just decreases their credibility of the opinion, right? So I try to just be as accurate in my opinion making as possible, right? Right? Okay. So those were kind of the what I want to discuss about the statements of likelihood. And then I just had a few more like tidbits of things that I think about. Okay. So sometimes I'll have people ask me to write a medical opinion about a, a condition directly related to their service. So not as a secondary to another condition, but directly related to their service. Okay. So um, an example of this would be Uh, a frequent one that I'll have is someone had back pain several times documented in service, you know, maybe 20 years ago, and then they got out, they really didn't seek care for it, because, you know, I'm a veteran, I have back pain all the time, and I just deal with it, right? That's super frequent and common, okay? And a lot of times veterans will have um, gaps in care for knee pain, back pain, or whatever the condition is, and then they'll File a claim for it. They'll go to a CMP exam. A lot, a lot of times they'll be approved, right? But a lot of times they'll actually be denied. And some of the communi- some of the comments in there are going to be things like, "No continuity of care." They recognize that the veteran had these ailments in service, but they think twenty years later. Too much time has surpassed, and that these new ailments are unrelated to the original ailments, right? That happens all the time. I see it very frequently. And so then we have to dig in and look at um, were there post service other risk factors, right? If the veteran didn't have anything else, you know, then we can show that there's the degenerative cascade and we can explain, you know, time has elapsed, but it's because the veteran wasn't seeking care. They didn't have insurance, they didn't have this, they didn't have that. So we kind of explain some of those things, and then we look at the scientific medical research that supports the opinion. Of of, you know, back injuries, for example, in service many years later can can lead to um, subligament failure, degenerative cascade, things happening over time, and it can wind up in a degenerative issue down the road, right? So um, sometimes veterans will come to me and say, I have this today, for example veterans been out of service for 20 years and they have just recently been diagnosed with carpal tunnel syndrome, right? And they're like, hey, uh, I think I had carpal tunnel syndrome in service and um, I got got denied. And I say, well, did you have any evidence of carpal tunnel in service? No, well, if I had, and then they say, if I had evidence of carpal tunnel in service, why would I need you? Why would I need a Nexus letter um, if it was diagnosed in service? Well, as I discussed about two minutes ago, um, many times there are many, many veterans that are denied for conditions that um, happened in service. So, you know, of course, it's always fantastic if you can just go and file the claim with your VSO or whoever and it gets approved first time. But sometimes they're not right, even if there's in-service evidence. Um, so then we take a look at those down the road. Right. So I guess the urban legend that I would like to clear up here for those of you that don't know is just because you have in-service evidence does not mean it's automatic, right? I hope that it is for you. I hope you knock it out of the park with your VSO if you believe that it's related to your service on the first time, but if not, you know, that is common and it happens and you have to get with your accredited agent, VSO, whoever, and and kind of go from there. I mean, sometimes that's where I can step in and review the files and assist and et cetera. Um, so, but back to the carpal tunnel. So, in my opinion, if the person doesn't have a diagnosis on active duty, especially for a condition like that, even if a medical expert comes later like myself and says it, it's it's really devoid of any scientific medical evidence to support the opinion. So that comes to urban myth number two, right? If a medical expert says it's at least as likely as not or more likely than not that the veteran will get connected, that is not true, right? So an opinion devoid of factual scientific evidence to kind of support it is it's very empty, right? So Just if I say, hey, yeah, this guy had carpal tunnel in service, if I just say that, that's not going to help anybody, right? In my opinion, it's not going to help anybody. If that was the case, then anybody at any time could pay any medical expert to just write that and everybody would be getting service connected for everything, right? So there has to be, in my opinion, there has to be data to support the opinion that's given. Otherwise, it's just hot air. Okay. So we have to have facts from the record, history, review of the case. That, you know, are there other more likely alternative causes? Right. So if, if somebody's just writing an opinion devoid of scientific data points, I don't think that's helpful. Right. And so that's what I told the veteran today. Like, I don't think it's helpful for me to regurgitate your personal statement because uh, just because a credentialed healthcare person basically reports your personal statement and signs it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's an a true medical opinion, right? It's just a regurgitation of your personal statement. Again, this is just my, um, in my experience, my from my standpoint, um, what I think is a credible medical opinion, okay? Um, so, and, and not just for things like the carpal tunnel, anything, anything, whether it's a secondary service connection or a primary service connection, if, if a medical expert is just saying that they think, you know, this condition is related without backing it up, with um, a good medical reasoning and rationale, it's not helpful, right? Um, so lastly, I wanted to kind of just touch on buddy letters about specific conditions, okay? So oftentimes, buddy letters can be helpful for things that they saw or heard or witnessed. Um, you know, I saw a veteran snuffy fall off the back of, um, you know, a, a, a truck, um, an LMTV in service, he complained of back pain, et cetera. Um, I witnessed veteran Snuffy having, you know, he was my barracks. He, we, we were roommates in the barracks. I witnessed him snoring, having apneic events, et cetera. I think, you know, he had sleep apnea back then. It was scary, whatever. Those things can be helpful. But if a buddy statement comes and says, I witnessed Veteran Snuffy 15 years ago having plantar fasciitis and I know it was plantar fasciitis or I know it was carpal tunnel syndrome or I know that they had restless leg syndrome. If they're specifically saying that I know Veteran Snuffy had this condition, that's a tough one because I would say a lay person does not have the medical expertise to accurately... Discuss whether or not someone had a specific condition like that, and I've seen that a lot of times in decision letters too. Veteran's friend says, "Hey, this person had plantar fasciitis in service. I know it because I saw him." And I've seen um, the examiner and the raider's perspective that say, "Well, that's great, but your you know PVT PV2 Smith that witnessed this doesn't have the medical credentials to determine what was or wasn't plantar fasciitis because it's beyond the lay person's ability to." um understand the complexity of that diagnosis. So again, when I see things like that, I'm kind of like, mm, you know, for more non-specific things, like I witnessed veteran Snuffy having headaches all the time and I witnessed this and I witnessed that. Th- those are more reasonable because I think a layperson can discuss whether or not they're having a headache, whether or not they're having symptoms of uh, you know, knee pain or whatever. But when we start getting into I know veteran Snuffy had MS on active duty, muscular, you know, multiple sclerosis on active duty, um that's where you're kind of like "Mm, did you really know that are you sure um so those kind of buddy statements I really just disregard most of the time um you know case by case right so that was kind of my down and dirty on nexus letters independent medical opinion letters so if you're going to ask for one from your medical provider um it doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing you know you know my letters are anywhere typically from three to eight pages right depending on the condition and the complexity of it But that's not necessarily what you need, right? If your doctor's willing to write, you know, two sentences or a paragraph and says, hey, uh, this is why I think X condition is related to Y condition, even a couple of sentences can be helpful. You never know, right? Um, So I hope this was helpful. And um, if you guys have any questions about independent medical opinions, I'm happy to answer them, drop them in the comments, um, let me know if there's anything specific that you'd like to hear about soon and I appreciate you guys watching and I hope you guys are doing well and talk to you soon, thanks.